Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Patient Convert podcast. It's just me again while Kelly is out on maternity leave um, while we're raising our new little girl. So um, I'm really excited. If you listened to our last episode about uh, social media advertising tips for medical practices, we're going to follow that up. And Nick is joining me again. He is our head of digital advertising here at the agency to kind of piggyback off that topic as we expand on digital advertising, but really focusing this time on search ads. You may have heard them as Google ads or PPC, which stands for pay-per-click. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into the other main area of advertising you hear about the most, and that is leveraging kind of search-based ads. So welcome, Nick, and thanks for coming back on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to doing this episode with y'all. Excellent. So to jump kind of right in, why don't we start, Nick, just at a high level by kind of talking about what Google ads or PPC or kind of that search-based ads, kind of what they are and kind of how they function at a high level for the listener. Yeah, totally. Uh, So typically you're talking about ads that are happening on a search network. Could be Google. I mean, obviously is the elephant in the room, Uh, but you also got other search networks out there like Bing, uh, DuckDuckGo. This is on the rise now. So any advertising that you do within a search platform is generally kind of the overarching category for those search-based ads. Okay, excellent. And so from a uh, visual reference, if you're listening on the podcast, if you say go do a search for uh, some some symptom or a near me search for like spine surgeon near me, it's that section of ads at the top before you see kind of the map-based ads and all the, or sorry, the map, uh, Google map stuff, as well as your organic listings right below that. So that should kind of hopefully ring a bell for everybody as to what we're talking about today. So kind of as we're getting into it, tell us a little bit now that we've kind of defined what it is, kind of how Google Ads platform works at a high level, because I think that'll set the stage for the different types of channels and strategies that we're going to talk about today. But it's really kind of keyword bidding and algorithm based for the most part outside of some of the other channels. But talk to to the listener a little bit kind of about the ins and outs of the platform itself. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's obviously a really popular uh, platform to go to for good reason. Anybody that is using a search engine is looking for something specific. So, you can kind of reference like the yellow pages, for example, whenever somebody was going to the yellow pages back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and they were looking for a specific service and it was kind of your job to just show up. And then the biggest ad on the paper usually won. So that's kind of how you can get a, a visual example of what's going on here. Uh, that nowadays is going to be usually the first one or two search results um, that pop up in those paid ad sections on this on these different search networks that you're looking at. So the way to use it is to really find your your target keywords, your main points that somebody would be typing in to find your services and hone in and target those keywords because you know that uh, people that are looking for those types of services, those types of keywords would probably be interested in what you have to offer. And that's, that is a big, I think, key point right there that if you did listen to the social uh, media advertising one, that's a big difference between kind of the two is what's really great about search ads is you know that there's a level of intent or interest that's already established. We kind of, what we always talk about is 
in the sales funnel, people are always in some area, whether they're problem aware, so they're aware they've got an issue that they need to fix, but they don't know your solution, but they're somewhere in there, whether you need to educate them or you simply just need to be above a competitor because they already know about the solution. They're just looking for somebody close or price competitive. The great thing is, is about search is we know when somebody sits down and types in a search query and we present them an ad that it is not 100% cold traffic like it can be on social media, that they're trying at some level to either research or educate themselves about some type of health-related ailment or, or something that they want to learn more about. And so that's what's a really, really, really useful to realize is the difference between social and here is there's a, generally a search intent that's already well-established. Yeah. Exactly. And that would be the big differentiator between search platforms in general, because you obviously have other avenues that you could advertise on, like um, Hulu, for example. But you know, somebody who's on that platform isn't really looking for your services. You just happen to come across their screen at a certain time. So um, you know, that's why search is usually like a really good place to start for most businesses because you're able to really like hone in on your target audience as well as where they are in the purchasing funnel. So it kind of cuts out half of the legwork where you have to go out and try to find these people. They're already letting you know that they're probably going to be uh, a prospecting patient. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a really great point. And so, but Google doesn't just really stop there. And I think that's where a lot of people um, may not be aware is there is more to the platform than just straight search. And it's generally very beneficial to kind of leverage the whole ecosystem of kind of Google's advertising omni-channel approach. So talk a little bit about Nick kind of outside of what people think in the traditional sense of PPC or Google ads, kind of the other things that are out there that they have the ability to leverage because that'll go into kind of when we start talking about strategy, what we can do over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So I think you're spot on. But not only is it search, uh, but you can also run ads on what they call the display network, which are partner websites, millions of other websites that show ads uh, on their website that you don't have to contact that website directly to run ads on them. You just go to Google and Google's already established a relationship. So it's just a really easy, simple way to get your ads kind of like a billboard, so to speak on millions of other websites uh, across the whole globe. So the display network is a really powerful way to kind of get brand awareness out there. Really great way to give out free information, generate leads, that sort of thing. Generally is the cheapest place to advertise uh, in terms of advertising on Google. Uh, But we'll get into more strategies and stuff in the next section. Uh, Obviously, you also have your map ads. So really great for local businesses in general. Um, those utilize people's geographic locations and your ad will show up in the map section on Google. So definitely a really powerful place to advertise. And then you also have YouTube, which kind of is a hybrid, I'd say, between social media and search because it offers that uh, creativity that social media has. It's not just text-based ads like, like you have in search. It has more engaging content, but it also offers this search ability because people are in YouTube, you know, most often looking for certain types of videos to watch. So those are really the four main aspects of, of Google that you can advertise on four different channels. Yeah. And that really does kind of expand even your, the way to think about, even if you're going to use search out of the gate, 
how you can begin to kind of leverage these other tools, uh, such as display for retargeting. So a good example of display um, for the listeners, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, you, you are, you just may not realize it. Say you go on kind of an e-commerce website like Amazon or something, and you're searching for a product, and then all of a sudden you're on like Yahoo or another website, and that product is following you around. That right there is an example of a display ad. And so you can see the power of that if you use search in this case or even social media to get people kind of through the door and familiar with your brand. Then all of a sudden you can use visual advertising to kind of follow them around on related sites. Um, Say you're an OBGYN and you can go after like mommy blogs um, for a particular service or offering that you have. The map side too is really great for all of those near me's. If you always are looking to kind of how I rank for dermatologists near me or orthopedists near me or oncologists near me or any of those kind of symptom or solution-based um, offerings, those are really, really powerful. So I just wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit of some of the examples of how you can use those to really kind of great effect. So now let's move into a little bit about kind of the, the, the meat of it and that's the strategy development. and kind of how we take what we do as a practice, the specialty we have. And if you if you haven't listened to it, and we will talk more on it on other podcasts because it's so important, is before you do anything from a strategy standpoint, and we talk about it in the social media um, episode 136, is you need to establish patient personas first. Everything that we talk about is really predicated on the fact that you understand who you're advertising and marketing to. And it may sound stupid, but you'll be very surprised at how few have really taken the time to sit down and breathe life into actual physical kind of people and what they look like, what their interests are, and where they go to find information for the the types of healthcare um, offerings that you have. So keep that in mind when we talk to all of this. It's We're basing it on the fact that you have sat down and developed what we call kind of patient personas because that's really, really critical. So now that we're kind of out of gate, talk to us a little bit about kind of formulating your initial strategy, Nick, um, whether it's us doing it for a client or a listener out there that wants to get started and, and creating visibility using paid search. Yeah, totally. So the first step really is to, once you kind of have those patient profiles outlined, you really just kind of want to think like the patient you want to put yourself in their shoes and figure out, you know, what types of keywords they would be searching for if they were looking for somebody who offers uh, your type of service. So generally, uh, where you want to start is the places that are, or the keywords that are closest to purchasing. So usually those end up being the longer tail keywords. So the ones that have more keywords in them than than not. So to give an example, uh, you can take somebody who's looking for a television and somebody who's looking for uh, a 55-inch 4K sharp smart TV is probably closer to purchasing than somebody who's looking for the keyword 4K TV. Uh, You can see where the more specific you get, the more likely you are to be closer to the end of the funnel, closer to actually purchasing more solution-aware Um, so usually you want to start with those types of keywords first, because they're likely going to be your highest performing ones and the ones that are fastest to actually turn a profit. And then once you start making some money there, you can kind of reinvest into some more prospecting keywords or higher up the funnel keywords, which for 
healthcare practices would be things that are conditional. So people looking for questions usually like why does this happen or how does uh, this surgery go? Uh, all those sort of conditional prospecting type of keywords. Um, so that's usually like the, the quick and dirty formula to start with. I think that is a really, really great point to drive home. I think that's where a lot of people either fail just simply due to misunderstanding is they take a massive shotgun approach and really don't realize that the keywords they're building on are so broad. There is no real defined kind of intent by the patient yet. You may get, you may luck out and get, um, if you're just bidding for these really generalized high, high up the funnel education style um, symptoms or uh, just provider level keywords that you're really paying a lot of money to do some educate broad education and the further down the funnel that we can go the more specific that we can get especially early on where we're testing everything out to your point the better outcomes we're going to get the faster we're going to see an ROI the better conversion metrics that we're going to get and then to your point Nick it, there's an always an ever evolving and outwardly expanding approach to ab testing and and doing um a lot of those higher up the funnel keywords that you just alluded to, but I think that's really important is to really start small, start narrow focused and, and try to, by putting yourself in the patient's shoes, try to figure out how we can position ourselves um, for people that are already kind of purchase ready as best we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's also important to mention that you should stay away from using the smart campaigns that Google offers you got to think that their whole goal, the whole way that they make money is through advertising. So it's their goal to make it as easy as possible and to get you uh, the most results possible, which is a good thing. But it's also kind of like having a, the wolf watch the hen house where you know sometimes they're going to make it seem like you're getting calls and conversions when really uh, people are just typing in your brand name. So it seems like, you know, the smart campaigns are working really well for you, but they don't actually give you the insight to see which keywords are actually driving those conversions. And a lot of times what we find is those keywords that are driving those conversions are just people who would find you anyways organically or find you anyways organically in the maps. So uh, just a fair warning, be, be weary of the, uh, this too Set it simple. and forget it. Yeah, yeah and exactly. that is something to keep in mind, it, listeners out there is, I don't know what it is today, but I know over the years, something like 95 to 98 plus percent of it, all of Google's revenue, the billions and billions of dollars of revenue come from what we're talking about, and that's Google Ads. And so they want to make it as easy as possible for you to sign up and hand them your money. And that is a good warning is there is a lot more sophistication than you think that goes into everything that we're talking about today. Um, developing the personas, um, building out of the, all the ads, getting all the tracking we're going to talk about in place, deciding budgets and optimizing those. And if you're not doing it on a daily basis, you're doing it wrong. And so leveraging smart campaigns can be a great way to make yourself feel good like we're out there, but a great way to lose money in the process. So that's a really good reminder, Nick, because we've seen that all too often when we take over a client is they've been running ads, but it's just been set it and forget it. And Google's really happy about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of nuances that go into that go into that we could do, you know, a couple of episodes about. Uh, but yeah, I think keeping it, keeping it general and giving people uh, an overarching strategy, I think is a good first step for this podcast. 
So let, let's talk a little bit about, cause I'm even intrigued about this. Um, what, if you are going to be doing search ads, what are kind of the key elements that we need from an assets perspective? Obviously we have call tracking and those things that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but what I'm alluding to is landing pages were the end all be all. I think even going back to five to six years ago, like you were doing it wrong if you were running ads without landing pages because the consumer needed kind of blinders on or they'd get distracted. There's definitely been an evolution, I think, as the consumer has gotten more comfortable online and more familiar with how to find what they're looking for, that there's been another side that says, just send them to like a service or treatment page and let them do the work. So what do you think, Nick, or is it a blend of both that people should be thinking about from an asset standpoint of where we're driving people um, should they be using landing pages? So they just be using their website. What should they be doing? Yeah, I would say it's kind of a blend of both. I mean, you could certainly use a homepage that sometimes that works. You could also certainly use a condition page or a service page um, with the caveat that, that those pages have to be designed with um, some, by somebody who knows marketing. I think oftentimes we, we come across websites that you know, look really pretty and they got new functions and they're unique and they speak to the brand, but they're not designed from a marketing perspective in terms of giving people the information that they need to hear and when they need to hear it in order to one, keep them engaged and two, um, break all their, all their barriers of entry and then get them to actually convert. So I think if your website is, is structured that way and you get good results from your website, you can certainly use your existing website with no problems. If not, then you definitely want to create landing pages because you know it's it's the ad's job to get people to the website and then it's really your website's job to get them to be interested enough in, to want to contact you or submit a contact form or to book an appointment. What are some of the things when it relates to whether it is a landing page or as you alluded to using a condition or service page, but we need to make sure it's designed by somebody? What are, whether it's the people designing it or as far as the listener out there, what are some of the things that make up a good landing page or a good page that converts, if that makes sense, when you're delivering um, ads? What are some of those components on that page that that really must be there if it's going to convert well? Yeah. So... Uh, you definitely want to have your first thing that people see. Basically, let me start here. People, when they go to a website, they move in a Z pattern, their eyes from across the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen, and then down the middle to the left corner and then back across to the right corner. So like a Z, if you can imagine that. So you, very first thing you want people to see usually is like a really striking image in the header. You want to have a call to action in the very top right, like, call now or submit a form or contact us right now in the, in the top right. Cause that's the, like one of the first places that people see, um, you want to tell people exactly what it is that you offer and how they can get it as soon as possible. And then that's like your first section. And then from there you want to have your, what I call like the stakes section, which is like usually a negative. So you want to frame the problem that they have, because when you think about when you're having a conversation with somebody and you're trying to get them to come to your practice, you don't just say, Hey, sign up with me. Hey, come into my practice. You have to convince them. So 
the, the very best way to do that first is to frame the problem that they have and then solve the problem with the next section. So in the, in the second section, you're going to say something like what their problem is, why it's wrong for them to feel like that, and um, basically just set yourself up for being the answer that they're looking for. So that third section is going to be like the positive where you're giving them uh, all of the solutions to the problem that they realize that they just have. Uh, And then from there, you can kind of mix it up. Um, You want to have things like why you're different than the competition, things like testimonials, uh, video testimonials, if possible. A plan is a really good thing to have. So like the first baby steps that somebody takes to uh, work with you, whether that's like step one, um, submit a contact form. Step two, get your free consultation. Step three, enjoy a pain-free life. It's something really simple. And then lastly, you kind of want to have your explanatory, explanatory paragraph, which uh, basically breaks down all of the barriers of entry that somebody would have, whether it's pricing, whether it's awards that you won, all the different reasons why somebody wouldn't want to work with you, you kind of answer in that explanatory paragraph. Um, yeah, and, and, I, kinda, I, and I love that how you use the term stakes because it's, I think, a good way to think about how you're kind of structuring your landing page is when you get to that, you be really quick so they don't get content fatigue at the top. Like, wow, I'm not going to read through all of this stuff because people's attention spans are so short. And then right after that, setting the tone for what's at stake here if you don't or do engage with whatever it is that you're trying to get them to do, I think is a really important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I agree. And that's kind of, uh, I would say those are like the, the three main things to keep in that order, the, the header and then the stakes, which is the problem and then the solution. And then from there, you can kind of mix up your content throughout the page. Uh, but it's important to kind of start there. You want to frame the problem first and then solve the problem. And then basically answer all the other questions that somebody might have. And social proof, not to say that it's not any less important in other industries, it probably arguably is just as important, but because we live and breathe this space so much is patient proof because there's probably nothing more kind of intimate and important than your health to you is patient proof, social proof, patient testimonials, written testimonials, again, preferably video to what Nick mentioned, is extremely important to have. Having them sell what you do from an outcomes perspective um, instead of you trying to do it is worth its weight in gold. So definitely invest in that because you can use that stuff. It's our best friend when somebody like us comes into a situation is one of the first things I know, Nick, that you do and we ask for is what do you have from an asset standpoint as it relates to social proof and video or written testimonials from patients? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Testimonials work really well for your warm audience. Those are the people that have had some sort of interaction with you before, but for some reason haven't purchased yet, haven't decided to become a patient yet. Um, they just need, usually those people need a little bit more information and, and proof that you are who you say you are and you do what you say you do from actual patients is like Justin said, worth its weight in gold. For sure. So as we're continuing to develop out the strategy, what are some other things they need to keep in mind, whether it's kind of leveraging retargeting as you do launch these ads and, and obviously not everyone that engages with an ad is going to convert or even kind of defining and, and reaching your audience, that patient persona we're talking about. So is there anything else that we may be missing? 
Yeah, retargeting is definitely uh, the biggest piece of the puzzle, usually. Um, what you can do with the display network, so running those ads on those third-party websites for retargeting is huge because it's so cheap to get uh, in front of thousands of people on the display network that it's almost a gimme. Um, so if you're not using the capabilities that that offers for retargeting, meaning getting front of, getting back in front of people that have been to your website again, then that's definitely a, the lowest hanging fruit usually. Uh, so retargeting is great for to, to run on the display network. Also thinking about uh, back to kind of putting yourself in the patient's shoes, Google knows so much information about people. It's the only reason why they're able to build such a great advertising platform. They offer so many different options when it comes to finding your audience. And one of the uh, really awesome things that they do is kind of define audiences based on certain characteristics already for you. So they have what's called in-market audiences. These are people that have been searching recently for things on the internet. So somebody who's looking for a luxury vehicle over the last two weeks, you can target that person and show them your ads for your luxury vehicle, for example. There's a bunch of different in-market topics that are already defined that you can utilize to your benefit. They also have affinity categories, which are basically people who are interested in certain things. So people who over a longer period of time, like a month or more, have been researching certain topics like soccer or weightlifting or CrossFit, all those sort of uh, categories, people's interests, their hobbies, basically. And then you also have topics so you can run your ads on topics about certain things like justin alluded to the the mommy blogs um things about homeschooling all those sort of topic related websites are defined already for you and you can even get as niched down as specific placements so you can find you know a list of 20 or 30 specific websites that you know your patient would visit if they were to uh, be looking for your types of services and you can run your ads specifically on those websites so not every single website on the internet's available but usually you can find a good amount um, that you were looking for plus google also suggests like related websites if they can't find your exact one that you're looking for excellent so let's talk a little bit i know it's such a common question when we engage with people and i'm sure it's every on every listener's not mind is budgets is how do you go about choosing a budget that A, gets enough data as far as makes the marketer happy, whether that's an agency or somebody in-house that's running your advertising, but also you're comfortable with, and I know there's going to be ranges here, but let's talk a little bit kind of uh, hard numbers as far as how should you go about kind of choosing a budget that um, you're going to leverage for this type of uh, advertising. Yeah. So a budget is a big deal because depending on your budget, you're either priced out of certain advertising uh, platforms or you're, you fit right in with other advertising platforms. So it's definitely a foundational piece of the puzzle. I would say on the Google ad side, probably you don't want to spend any less than $800 a month or commit to anything less than $800 a month uh, over a range of three months because it, it takes time to kind of gather this information and get the data back and see what's working, what's not working, where you can reinvest other keywords you can target. Basically your goal is to 
start with the ones you think are going to work the best and then cast cast like a kind of broad net um, and then make adjustments from there. So usually that takes about, you know, 90 days in order to get it running like a, like a well-oiled machine. Not to say that, you know, you won't have somebody contact you in the first week. That can certainly happen and does happen. But in order to kind of really get it, um, really get the engine going, it takes, you know, a decent amount of time. So typically that's kind of how we um, present it. And uh, that's kind of what I would say in terms of uh, like hard numbers speaking in, in general, of course. Yeah, that's and that's a really good point. I think there's a lot of factors to take into consideration. Um, obviously, what you're trying to accomplish, what niche you're in, what geographical area, because somebody advertising the same thing on Google ads in a smaller market, say like Charleston, South Carolina, may be able to get by with a $1,500 a month ad spend budget. But if you're in a really competitive market or really large metropolitan area, say like Los Angeles or Miami or Atlanta, uh, those budgets are probably going to have to expand um, outwardly pretty quickly because you're going to exhaust your monthly budget really quickly. Because the way Google works from an ad spend perspective is most people think of it in terms of a month, like I'm willing to spend $5,000 a month. But it's really, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, kind of divided into 30.4 days per month between 30 and 31 um, day months. So it's really about how you take your monthly budget and you divide that up as a daily ad spend to hit that goal. So if you're only spending 10 bucks a day, and it costs a couple dollars per per click on your ads, you could exhaust that budget in a matter of minutes at the beginning of every single day. So that's really kind of how you want to think about it is we as marketers need to get enough good data back to make good decisions. And to Nick's point is it takes 90 days to do that, but you also need enough budget in order to get enough data back to not make rash decisions um, based on in, insufficient data. So we're shutting these campaigns down or ramping these ones up or not doing proper A-B testing because we simply don't have enough data. So you definitely want to balance it between kind of what you're comfortable with and what you can afford. The other thing to keep in mind too is say you don't have as monstrous of a budget, there's still a lot you can do if going back to what Nick talked about earlier, you get really specific and really understand your end user because then you don't have to take a, um, a fishing or a shotgun blast approach. You can get really, really specific and you can use your resources um, to greater effect. And depending on what you offer and where you offer it, education is always the most expensive component. So if people are not aware of the solution that you're offering, expect to have to have a longer sales cycle and probably spend a little bit more money because you kind of got to get them through the sales funnel as far as presenting them with a potential solution, retargeting them, getting them into your funnel and continuing to stay in front of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And to Justin's point, what some of the things that you could do if you have a smaller budget, uh, you could only run your ads for certain times of the day. If you know, based on your Google Analytics, you know, between 9 a.m. and 12 noon, you get the most appointments being booked for whatever reason. You can only run your ads at those days. Very specific zip codes. If you know which zip codes work better for you than others, you can only target those. Certain age groups, demographics, different audiences, uh, all those sort of things can be layered, uh, but it goes back to really fully understanding the most information you can about your patient. 
Yeah. And that's what's really cool is again, going back to like just setting smart campaigns and then people really understanding what the ins and outs of a well-optimized program and campaign should look like is to what Nick just talked about. There's an, an entire ecosystem that you can leverage to really reduce your cost per conversion. And even things like bidder scripts are incredibly useful as you get more and more data because they literally will allow you say, you know, based on looking at your data that on Tuesdays and Thursdays between 10 and one, for some reason, there's a lot more people online searching for your solution. Well, you can literally go from um, spending X amount of money on those ads to ramping that up just during those time windows and get and make sure that you're guaranteeing yourself, say, a first or second spot in those search results. So again, these are the types of things that somebody that's really good um, can do for you from a sophistication standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're 100% right. All right. So what are, because I think there's a lot, not a lot, but there's potential problems that I think the listeners, because we are focusing in health and medical, really should be aware of and can really drive people crazy. So we wanted to, I know Nick, you and I had talked about it, it's really talking to a high level of what are some of the kind of hiccups or troubleshooting that people should be aware of when you are marketing medical and health related kind of services and offerings that they should be that they should know about. Yeah, so medical in general is a touchy subject usually kind of no matter what platform you're advertising on. So with Google specifically like they don't want to they don't want to give people information that's going to harm them because at the end of the day people are going to go back to Google and you know create a lawsuit and make billions of dollars off of them. So they're trying to protect themselves and in order to do that um, one of the things that they do is basically just disapprove your ads if you seem like you're running ads for something that might be experimental or things that might not be beneficial uh, in Google's eyes to the person actually searching. So we sometimes run into ads being disapproved and you've got to understand that the way Google works now is that they have you know millions of people advertising on their platform every single day there's not actual people going in and approving the ads that you're writing. It's all uh, robot based and they basically just flag ads and disapprove them. If any sort of keywords come up in the ads or if your landing page that your ads going to contains certain types of keywords or certain topics that are deemed inappropriate or speculative or experimental, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it sometimes happens that you're uh, just a, a normal, regular practice like a dentist who's, you know, has nothing weird going on at all and just a normal a normal place and your ads get flagged for disapproval and, you know, it, it can cause a lot of problems if you don't know what to do. So really the, the only way to really get around it, because what's going to happen is if you appeal the decision, it's just going to get stuck in that same loop because again, a, a robot is handling it. Um, so the really the only way to get around it is to get in contact with someone at Google and they, they make it pretty uh, simple. Uh, you can chat with people or you can email them and usually it happens pretty quick and uh, just ask them for a manual review and the representative, if they're good, will look into the problem for you and let you know specifically what the problem is. Uh, like, you know, maybe your, like I said, your landing pages contain some sort of keywords like uh, plasma or PRP is one of the things that they don't really like too much. So you either got to uh, address that situation and, and remove those types of keywords or remove those pages 
or create landing pages that don't have any of that content on it. Or uh, if there's nothing wrong, then they can just run it up a flagpole and have somebody manually review it. And then um, your ad should run. Yeah. And those are really, really helpful tips. And it's just something to keep in mind. I mean, we do this day in and day out for a ton of different subspecialties and it can be a aggravating thing, but it, it, it's just kind of part of advertising in this space of health and medical. And so just be aware that there's a good probability at some point when you're running ads, you will have disapproval issues. So you need to be persistent about it and know that you kind of can get past it. It just may take some either direct help from Google or some creative out of the box thinking, or in some cases you just simply can't advertise those things. You have to figure out other potential kind of foot in the door offerings to get people kind of through the door and using your product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are also some other things too, like sometimes you'll need actual certifications or licenses to be able to advertise certain things like uh, advertising certain medical products or certain medications. You yeah. Have to have, legal uh, scripts is somebody that can help with that as well as like we've even run into it. And again, it's a case by case basis. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does with large, large brands, say like Botox or those things. Sometimes you can have, you have to get express written consent from the manufacturer and it used to be Allergan, but it's somebody else that owns it now, but saying that you can use their copyright information um, to advertise because technically that is a trademarked name. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. All right. So now let's get to, I know we spend a lot of time from the mistakes people make to, we talked about it a lot in the social uh, segment is tracking. And this is such a critical thing that is I'd say more often than not when we do audits or take a new client on has been done incorrectly and it causes all types of issues from properly retargeting to properly proving what is and isn't working is tracking. So tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about kind of how people should go about tracking their campaigns and what tools that they have at their disposal uh, to do so. Yeah, really without tracking, you're just spending money for no reason because you you have no way to know if what you're doing is actually working and you're also not going to know even as as small down as which keyword or which ad or which campaign is actually driving your results so you're just kind of taking a shot in the dark when you're going back and you're looking to optimize things in terms of um you know which keyword you should pause or which keyword you should spend more money on so it's a necessity to have if number one, you're going to run your campaigns correctly. And number two, you're going to be able to quantify an actual return on your investment. So it definitely something that needs to be set up from the beginning. And one of the ways that you can do that uh, is one using call tracking. That's definitely a big deal for a lot of people because calls are, you know, usually, uh, second to form fills or something like that in terms of being able to get in contact with the practice. So call tracking is, is a big deal. You can do that through different platforms. Um, and I guess secondly would be Google Tag Manager, which is basically a third-party app also built by Google that kind of lets you add certain codes or scripts to your website. Um, you can do things like track button clicks. You can track uh, all sorts of stuff really, but it's a kind of like a front facing drag and drop 
style builder that you can use to be able to track certain valuable actions without necessarily needing to know uh, how to write code or how to write scripts. So often one of the main tools that we use to kind of track things, to deploy certain codes, just because it's a really easy way and a really kind of lightweight way to do it in terms of um, your website and not slowing it down with a bunch of tracking scripts and codes. Uh, And then you also have things like Google Analytics that you can use to to track certain goals. And then of course, using the tracking, conversion tracking that's built in to the Google Ads system as well. Uh, I would say, you know, that it's definitely a foundational piece to do this sort of thing, but it is, you know, as, as easy as Google tries to make it, it is still really technical and you really have to know kind of what you're doing uh, or you have to spend a few hours watching YouTube videos that explain to you how to do it um, to actually do it the right way. So if you're not going to spend the time to do it, then make sure you uh, have somebody in your office or you hire somebody to do it the right way for you. Yeah, I think that those are, are really great things. I think Tag Manager is so powerful. I mean, it's really user-friendly. And what's great is you can really go, you can honestly keep everything under there, right? Including your other social tracking apparatuses and everything can really all be housed inside of Tag Manager to make things, like you said, clean, simple, but also all in one place. So you can easily either deploy or make adjustments or find any issues or errors. Yeah, right. So you can set up having the to put your Google analytics code on your website and your Facebook pixel on your website and your call tracking pixel on your website. You can just put the one Google tag manager code on the site. And then using the Google tag manager platform, you can then create, you know, an infinite amount of scripts that just will deploy on your website. So it's all lives in one dedicated area rather than having five or 10 different plugins on your website for each platform. And that really does go back when there's a lot of um, uh, interest in page speed stuff and and using whether it's kind of Google Lighthouse or Google Page Speed um, and analy- analysis tool or like GT Metrics, um, any, any of those that are out there. A lot of stuff that you see that gets flagged is all of that JavaScript stuff that goes into the head of your website. And that's what Nick is alluding to is all of those individual plugins, all those individual scripts, all of those have to be buried into the head of your site so it's deployed across all of it plus additional additional conversion scripts on things like landing pages and thank you pages and that stuff continues to magnify and requires additional calls from a server's perspective as your pages load and continues to increase your page load time so that's how you can get those really bad even though your site may seem kind of fast you get those terrible like 20 30 or like D and F level scores. And a lot of that has to do with these types of JavaScripts. So being able to house all of them in something like Tag Manager and minimizing it all the way down to one script is going to benefit you in several different ways. It'll cost less headaches, easier aggregation, as well as it's actually going to improve your website speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and tracking becomes even more challenging when your conversions happen on like subdomains or third-party websites. So uh that's often the situation with uh, medical practices. You know, they use something like ZocDocs to book appointments uh, or, you know, their own third-party booking uh, app that they have. So uh, keep in mind that if if you're kind of running that sort of setup, it's even more important to, you know, double check that things are actually working properly and test, uh, but just to have somebody who knows what they're doing set it up 
Excellent. Well, this is a uh, really, really great information. I think the listeners are really going to be happy um, that they tuned in. Again, if you haven't, um, if you're really trying to build out a well-rounded ads program or learn more about it, I recommend listening to now the three different episodes that uh, Nick has joined us for, where we talked high level about the common issues that we see people run into when they're trying to do things like we've been talking about on this episode. So that kind of allows you to get ahead of mistakes and avoid issues um, that we've spent years and years and years um, seeing people uh, kind of trip and fall out of the gate on. And then we did an episode on episode 136 on the social advertising side of things. And then this, we've been talking today about the search side of things. So I really hope you all got a lot of value out of this and continue to stay tuned as we expand on things like retargeting and following up and all of the different other components that come with building out a well-rounded, sophisticated paid advertising program. So thank you so much, Nick, for uh, joining us again today. Um, I always love having you on, so really appreciate it. Yep, man. Happy to be here. Thanks again for, for having me on. It's been great. And Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for listening in. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategy strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks. Check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott.